Well, as you're finding your way back to your seats, we <clears throat> want to be able to give you a chance to, to hear an update uh, through a, a ministry that, that we're involved with as a church, Forgotten Ministries. We have a number of different avenues. We've been able to, to connect with them. And one of the projects that we did was uh, help out with a Christmas party. Uh, for, uh, for kids through Forgotten Ministries, and I've asked uh, Karen Jones to come and just give us a, a report on kind of how we saw God work through that project, and so thank you for being here this morning, Karen. Sure, thank you, and I appreciate that. Um, I think there might be a picture of, of some of the physical things that we did. Um, I just want to thank everyone. Um, I'm not one usually to show the fruits of our work in this way, but maybe it's the best way. Um, a few, I think I counted it six years ago, um, when Iona Morrissey and I had started working with the serving the meals with Dwight and many, many others who have been in all those years at Don Haskins, and it was said, we're going to serve a Christmas dinner for the people at the park. And Iona came to me and she said, Karen, we've got to do something for the children so they know what Christmas feels like. We need to tell the Christmas story. We need to give them gifts to represent Christ's gift to us. And so she said, I've got these old stuffed animals people have donated. Can you help me wash them? And we ran them through our washing machines and fluffed them up and gave them new ribbons and pretended they were presents. And then I said, well, in my childhood, we always got a sack with fruit and candy for Christmas. But Iona and I had no money, and the church wasn't really budgeted for it at that point. So one of the families in our church bought us a box of apples, as I recall. We got some old brown lunch sacks, and we bought some half-price Halloween candy, and we kind of stuffed those full and tried to make sure each child got something. And then we, we got old clothes out of the clothes truck and we made white things for the angels and bathrobes for the shepherds and velvet things for the kings. And we kind of tried to tell the Christmas story to them in their own way. And it was just such a blessing. And each year it has just grown and grown and more support. There were three churches that were just phenomenally involved this year, ours being one of those. And in the past, when I've asked for gifts, we've gotten maybe 20 gifts. I don't know. Um, this isn't quite all of ours. We had about 114 gifts, the last I counted, um, that we were able to take and share. And if you'll show the face of the little boy, um, you can kind of see what those gifts mean to those children. Um, you know, there was the little boy whose dad said his mother died this summer. He was about four years old. And he said, this is probably all I'm going to be able to do for him for Christmas. And there was another little kid who I said, hey, what did you get in your package? And he said, well, I don't know. I won't open it till Christmas. And this was two weeks ahead of Christmas when we had our party. And when you can hear those things, I think you realize what a physical gift. We might have spent $10 to buy them something, but what it can mean to them um, when they're receiving those gifts. Um, and I said it was really kind of a fishes and loaves moment because one of the churches had collected four bicycles, two for boys and two for girls, a little one and a big one, to be drawn in a drawing as a special gift. And when I was going to the park, I got a text message from someone that said, we have six more bicycles and two scooters that we're going to add to the drawing. And then when I parked my car and I looked at my phone again, another church had said, well, we have 11 bicycles we're bringing to give. And it was just to go from used stuffed animals to being able to share and so we were able to share not only with the Don Haskins Park kids, the people who um, come to the Homeless Shelter Mercy House were treated to a Christmas dinner and Christmas night and given gifts from this plenty. Um, this is a scene from the year the Friesens kind of helped us, and we tried to kind of act out the Christmas story. I won't say it gets better every year, but it gets different every year. Roger Gosen, 
Roger narrated for us this year. We just had a great experience in the cold at the park. I wasn't able to get any pictures because it was kind of dark, so this is last year. Um, but anyway, they shared the gifts with Mercy House kids on Christmas Day and then the Marshallese Church, the kids who were at New View Apartments and because of rent changes aren't really there anymore, that we were able to take gifts to their church and share with them. And that's why I say it was dishes and loaves. Like We asked for gifts for the park and we were able to give gifts to so many kids. And what I think that's different is, you know, I've adopted kids from the Salvation Army tree and I've dropped Toys for Tots things in the box and those are great causes. But I don't know that they get to see Christ in someone's face when they receive that gift. But I can tell you the gifts that we bought and gave, they were physically handed to a child by a Christian who could take a moment and share either then or after they opened it and really explain to them why they're getting a gift. That it's not just a G.I. Joe or whatever, but this is a representation of Christ's gift to us at Christmas. And so I think that's one thing that differentiates what we do at Christmas from a lot of the other things that we give to. Um, so all of that to say we're in a new year, we've got new resolutions, we've got new callings, and Scott's going to talk about transitions. And so as you think about what is in the year ahead of you, I kind of challenge you to think, um, Ali and Freedom and several others have been very diligent in going to the Mercy House and helping on these cold nights and the hot summer days. With, I mean, what does it feel like to put a plate of food in front of somebody that hasn't had warm food in days, if not longer? Um, it's just a great thing. And if you can't physically be the one who's there, they estimate right now it's costing them at least $250 every day to feed the 60-plus people who are coming to that homeless shelter. You know, a few extra dollars you can give through our church or directly to Forgotten Ministry um, and just tag those funds, you know. that's It's, it's a great cause that's there, I think. Um, many things are being done there. I also want to mention as we talk about things that are happening in our community um, that Logan and Rebecca Draves have also kind of reignited um, Habitat for Humanity here in our community. A lot of people in our church gave Christmas gifts to a family through that and a lot of work that's being done and some great things coming up. So keep your ear for ways that you can find to serve there too. I just want to say briefly when we had our mission encounter, we were challenged at the end to pray, how is God calling you personally to serve in this next year? And I don't know how many of you took time to do that prayer, if you were there or not. If you didn't, I encourage you to do it today sometime. But when we talked about it in the car on the way home, I had gone into my prayer saying, are we supposed to go to Niger or are we supposed to go to Peru? Because I'm just sure we're supposed to go serve in one of these places. And when we talked about it going home, my son said, well, God just told me I need to be. I just need to be. And he said, I interpret that to mean that wherever I am, I need to be more of him. I need to be showing him where I am at, showing other people about him. I don't need to go to Niger, Peru to be able to do that. My daughter and I had similar things to each other. We felt like both of us were hearing from God. It's not about the trip. It's about the calling. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I would love to go to Peru or Niger, either one. I love adventure. But I realize that my calling right now is right here in Enid um, through whatever way, Forgotten Ministries or other things. And I was thinking as I was sitting back there, I didn't say this in first service, but when the incident happened in the airport in Florida this week and they had the shelter in place like they did in Boston during the bombing, I thought sometimes maybe God is telling us just to serve in place. Maybe the people we're supposed to serve are right here with us people we're supposed to give mission to or at work or 
in the park or wherever. So just challenges, you think about what you're doing in this year um, to really consider where are you being called and answer that call in whatever way it comes. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. I appreciate that. Uh, just, yes. Uh, and, and I just, I love that, that, that personal connection. It's, it's not just a project. It's answering the call of God on your life. And so there is uh, another opportunity this week uh, at the Mercy House uh, on Thursday night, a uh, chance for our church to be able to come alongside the staff there and serve uh, 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, if you can meet here uh, at our church, we can carpool over together. Uh, the uh, parking is limited there. Uh, if you can't be here right at 4, just uh, join up with us over at uh, the Mercy House. And it's an opportunity for us just to very practically uh, demonstrate the love of Christ through uh, these, these people are, are coming in in great physical need. And it is our prayer that by meeting a, a physical need, there's an opportunity for a relationship that leads to an opening to help them to see their true spiritual need uh, that is met fully and finally in Jesus Christ. And would you please uh, join me in prayer as we prepare for God's word? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For the glory of Christ, in his name we pray, amen. Well, one year ago, none of us would have been able to predict that we would be in this time of transition that we're in as a church right now. And there is there's a real part of me that is just itching to, to get back into the letter to the Ephesians, that I believe God is, is wanting us to, to listen to, to him, be shaped by him into being a, a people shaped by the gospel, and then Ephesians is such a great letter for that. But, but we are at, at, a, at a time of transition as a church, and I think it's important at this time that we, we make sure that, that we have our bearings, and that, that we really make sure that, that, that we know where it is that, that God is, is taking us, what it is that God is doing in us. And so I, I see that this time that we're going to spend this morning is, is in many ways uh, a setup for a, a completion tonight at our meeting. I hope that you will be back here at, at 6 o'clock uh, to hear an update from myself and, and the rest of my fellow elders as what we see God doing uh, in us as a church right now and what we have, he has next for us. Um, but, but when it comes to to transition. It's, it's not just about us as a church, that, that there is transition happening in, in so many of your lives. There's, there's transition that you know you're going through right now. There's transitions that you're looking ahead to this year, and, and probably for, for some of you, you're going to face a transition this year that you didn't see coming. And so I think this is something that's not only relevant just for us as an entire church family, but, but relevant to each one of you in your lives. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 this morning. 
Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua's name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh was the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. That whenever you're reading your Bible and you come to a place where the word Lord is in all capital letters, that is a translation of the name Yahweh. And So Joshua's name means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. When the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, she told Mary that she would have a son and she was to name him Jesus. The name Jesus, as it would have rolled off the lips of Gabriel, would have been in Hebrew, Joshua. Joshua's name in the Old Testament finds its completion in Jesus Christ. He is the one Joshua was pointing to. And it's in Jesus, ultimately, that Yahweh saves. So as as we come to God's word to Joshua in the Old Testament, what we are seeing here is a shadow. A shadow of a commission that God gave Joshua to fight a physical battle that comes to its final ultimate conclusion in Jesus Christ. That that we read in the book of Joshua God's victory that he gave to his leader Joshua over a land that finds its completion in the victory that God gave to the greater Joshua, Jesus Christ, on the cross as he won a kingdom that is made up of people of every tribe, language, nation. That Joshua fought a physical battle for a physical territory. But we know today that, that the battle that we are engaged in is not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
That the commission that that is given to us today is is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual commission. As we we look at the word of God to, to Joshua, we see it as a shadow casting forward to a greater fulfillment. A fulfillment that we find ourselves in today. So the word of God to Joshua is a word that's relevant to us. It's helpful for us to understand the setting that Joshua found himself in. That Joshua is hearing this word as the nation of Israel is camped on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. They had been at this place once before in their history. They had come up to the shore of of the Jordan. They, They were preparing to go into the land of Canaan. And Moses sent Joshua and 11 other men to spy out the land. And as they came back, they gave a report to the people. And as great as their, their travels had been and the fruit that they had, had gotten, the spies came back and gave a report that the people in the land were far too great for the people of Israel to defeat. Joshua and his buddy Caleb were the only ones on that day that said, the Lord has given this land to us. The Lord can give us the victory. And on that day, the nation of Israel listened not to Joshua, but to the other ten spies. And they turned away from the Lord. And God made them wander in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, 40 years later, the people are again on the shores of the Jordan River, looking into the land of Canaan. And the question is, will they cross over? Will they trust the Lord? Or will they turn away? The first time they had come to this place, they had been led by Moses. But now, Moses is gone. And who's their leader? Their leader is Joshua. The question is lingering. What will the people do this time? Will the people listen to Joshua? So God comes to meet Joshua with a call. It's a call that is repeated three times in in these nine verses. And it's, it's very compact. Be strong and courageous. This call to courage is not a call that God is giving to Joshua that he would now like look within himself, that, that he would dig down deep and that he would find an inner strength, that he would be able now to, to summon up to lead the people into the land. This, this was not a call to courage based upon looking around at, at, at the people that God had given to him. This is a call to courage based upon the character of God and what God has done. And so God is coming to Joshua to call him to be strong and courageous, and he's going to give him three reasons why he should have this courage. See, God is is wanting to set up Joshua for success. At this time in Israel's history where the, the leadership has passed from the greatest leader that they had known, Moses, to an unproven leader, unknown leader, Joshua, God is wanting to set up Joshua for success to assure him that this call will lead to success. In this time of transition, God wants to give Joshua his assurance. Success is a Success in transition is a result of a confidence in God's sovereignty, God's word, and God's presence. This is the the, the confidence for Joshua 
in a time of transition. It's the confidence that we are defined as a church in this time of transition. It's a confidence for, for every one of you, regardless of what transitions you are facing right now or will face this year, you can know that you can find success if you will place your confidence in God's sovereignty, God's word, and God's presence. So I want to look at those a little closer this morning. First of all, the first reason for courage is based on a confidence in God's sovereignty. A confidence in God's sovereignty. If you look with me at verse 2, God's opening words to Joshua have this note of finality to them. Moses, my servant, is dead. Think about the weight that these words would have had on Joshua. The first time we meet Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17. Moses calls him to lead the people into battle against the Amalekites. And as Joshua leads the army out uh, into the plains to fight the Amalekites, Moses perches himself up on top of a hill. And, and Moses raises up his hands. And, and as Moses raises up his hands and the battle ensues, the Israelites are being victorious. Joshua and the Israelites are, are gaining ground. But then as Moses is an 80-year-old man. His, his arms begin to weaken and, and his arms come down. And as his arms droop down, the battle tide turns and the Amalekites begin to win. And it's only after, Joshua, or after Moses has his arms propped up that the people are able to gain the victory. And so on that day, the, the, the military victory came not because of Joshua's great leadership on the field. It became because of Moses' intercession for the people. This is the Moses who's dead. And so this is the, the question that, that Joshua is pondering is, is, what now? Can God be trusted with Moses being dead? Joshua had been prepared for this moment. Moses had prepared him. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Now the Lord comes to Joshua to confirm that the authority that rested on Moses now rests on Joshua. Every one of the pronouncements that the Lord makes. The Lord's going to make three pronouncements to Joshua, and every one of these are to strengthen Joshua's confidence in God's sovereignty. First of all, we see the Lord proclaim his sovereignty over time. Follow with me in verse 2. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them. God is letting Joshua know. Moses is dead, now is the time. God is, is letting Joshua know that, that the time of wandering is over. The time of fulfillment is here. Now is the time for you to lead the people because now is the time that I'm going to take you into the promised land. The Lord is sovereign over time. Secondly, God proclaims his, that the Lord is sovereign over the land. Follow along with me where it says in, in verse 3, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. The Lord is, is letting Joshua know, I am not simply sending you in to claim a, a, a piece of land to conquer for yourself. I am giving you this land. 
this is my land, and I'm calling you to cross the Jordan to receive it. And this receiving of the land is in keeping with the promise that God made to Moses. See what it says there. End of verse 3, just as I promised to Moses. God had first made this promise when he met Moses at the burning bush. And when, when God promised to, to Moses at the burning bush that he was going to lead his people into the, the promised land, he was not giving uh, the first time, he was not giving this promise because God had given this promise to Abraham. And God had repeated the promise to Isaac and to Jacob. God had repeated this promise to his people. And, and that's what God is reminding Joshua of in verse 6 when he says, You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. See, God had promised this land to Israel. Because God had promised this land to Israel, God had staked his character to the land. That God was going to say, you can know that I am God. You can know that I am faithful when you're in the land. God had staked his character and his name to fulfilling the promise of the land. So God is, is saying, I am sovereign over the timing of this. I am sovereign over the land that I'm giving to you. And thirdly, I am sovereign over people, particularly over your enemies. Look with me at verse 5. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. None of these enemies that you saw that, that made you feel tiny, none of these great cities with, with these strong walls, none of these great armies, none of them are going to be able to stand against you. The Lord is assuring Joshua, I will give you success. Now, all three of these assertions of God's sovereignty Every one of these assertions of God's control call for a response now from Joshua. And that response comes to us in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. See, what we see right here at the beginning of Joshua is this great interplay, this balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Why is it that, that Joshua is supposed to be strong and courageous? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign over time. God is sovereign over the land. God is sovereign over people. Therefore, Joshua, because God is sovereign, you have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to be strong and courageous. But where is, is Joshua's strength and his courage? How is he going to fulfill this responsibility? It's all built upon the foundation of divine sovereignty. These things go together. All throughout Scripture, there is a balance between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. When the people of Israel re returned to the land after being exiles in Babylon, they were undergoing a, a project of building the walls, and once again they were facing opposition. And Nehemiah said to the people, in Nehemiah 4, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. You see here, Nehemiah is calling the people. He says, you have to fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your homes. You have responsibility. But when you fight, who's fighting? It's the Lord. Our God will fight for us. There is uh, the, the confidence of God's people to act is based upon his sovereignty. That the, 
the response of strength and courage is in response to a confidence in the sovereignty of God. Success in transition is a result of a confidence in God's sovereignty. In addition to a confidence in God's sovereignty, success in transition calls for a confidence in God's word. A confidence in God's word. So so immediately after summoning Joshua to have strength and courage because of the Lord's work at giving them the land, God repeats the command in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. And how is it that Joshua is supposed to demonstrate his courage? How is Joshua going to say, yes, uh, I'm going to show this courage? Following, it says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So, So God has promised Joshua, everywhere where you put your foot, I'm going to give that land to you. That God is going to be the one who gives victory. But how is it that God's sovereign declaration is going to come to pass? It's because Joshua, every time he, he, he puts his foot on a piece of land, it's going to be in faithfulness to the word of God. Every time he, he takes a step, it's not stepping away from God's word. It's not stepping to the right or to the left. He is stepping in line with God's word. He's not, to, he's not supposed to come up with anything new here. Joshua has no new revelation. He is acting in faithfulness to the commands that he received from Moses. That Joshua's success is specifically tied to his faithfulness to God's written word. Look with me at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It's from the very beginning of Israel's history. Israel wrote down what God told them. And now God is saying, your success is going to be based upon your faithfulness to what is written, what I have revealed to you in the law. This isn't just talking about the Ten Commandments here. This is all of Genesis through Deuteronomy. All of this, God is saying, your success is going to be tied to your faithfulness to have this law in your mouth. Your faithfulness to speak to the people, not your own words. Your success is not going to be based upon coming up with your own plans. Your success is going to be based upon you faithfully speaking my word. And then Joshua is called not only to to speak the word, but to be full of God's word, to fill his mind with it. Keep going with me in verse 8. It says, you shall meditate on it day and night. Today, when many people think of meditation, the idea that, that, that comes to mind is really an Eastern idea of meditation. And Eastern meditation teaches you to empty your mind. That, that you want to, to try to empty your mind of all thoughts. But that's the exact opposite of biblical meditation. The, the, the Hebrew word for meditate is a word that actually means to, to ponder and to plan. And and oftentimes, it involves the idea of speaking to oneself, almost like a a muttering under the breath. Uh, Speaking to yourself what? The very words of God. This is actually repeated for us in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I was 
reading one pastor who, who said that to meditate on God's word is, is for God's word to become the background noise of your life. And then no matter what situation you find yourself in, all you have to do is be quiet and turn up the volume. That's what it means for, for God's word to, to so fill us, to meditate on God's word. That wherever we find ourselves, that God's word is right there with us whenever we tune into it. The purpose of meditation is not simply that we would know God's word, but it, that it would lead us to obedience. Because what? follow with me in verse 8. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Success in transition is the result of a confidence in God's word. There's a third component. A third component to find success in a time of transition, and that is a confidence in God's presence. The God who is, is sovereign over time and space, and people, the God who has revealed himself in his word, is a God who, who gives the assurance of his presence. Moses had enjoyed a very special relationship with God. We see it for us in Exodus chapter 33. And he, that's the Lord, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Now the Lord promises Joshua that same relationship. Notice what it says in verse 5. God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God gives a third charge to Joshua. The third time he says to him, be strong and courageous. Look at it with me there in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? And then to drive the point home, God, God repeats it in the negative for Joshua. As he says to him, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? What is the source of this confidence? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, the first time where God says to Joshua, he says, I will be with you. And then he ends this statement by going third person on Joshua. He says, the Lord will be with you. This isn't to create any more distance between him and Joshua. God is wanting to remind Joshua of something that Moses had said. In Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You see, Joshua's call to be strong and courageous was not to be fulfilled by looking around at the strength of his armies. 
He, he wasn't even to, to look at the, the armies that were coming against him that, that he was crossing over to face. He's to look to the presence of the Lord. The Lord is with you. Joshua must have courage. He must have strength because God is with him. This message to Joshua is amplified for us through Jesus Christ. See, what was true for Joshua is true for us today in an even greater way. Because Jesus didn't go to the cross to simply secure a piece of real estate in the Middle East. That Jesus went to the cross to secure the glory of God for the whole world. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, there are some striking parallels between the Lord's commission to Joshua on the shores of the Jordan River and the Lord's commission to his disciples right before Jesus ascended into heaven. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you you see the similarities here in this text? You see, see, when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, what's he doing? He's declaring his sovereignty. That that the sovereign Lord who spoke to Joshua is is the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ who says, all authority has been given to me. That that Joshua was commanded to, to observe all that Moses had commanded But what is it now that marked the followers of Jesus? They are those who observe all that he commanded. And finally, the Lord promised to be with Joshua. And Jesus promises to be with all who follow him. I am with you always. So how will we respond? Will we be Strong and courageous. See, when I first think about the call to be strong and courageous, I often think I'm about to be called to some grand task. There's some grand mission and I need to answer with courage. That day may come. But you know where courage is formed? Courage is not formed in the big things. Courage is formed in the small things. God forms courage in the day-to-day details of our lives. When we are called to be strong and courageous, men, we are being called not to withdraw from our families, but to engage with them. The call to be strong and courageous for you women. It's it's to find your worth in what God says in his word 
and not what's being posted on Facebook and Pinterest. But students, the call of God on you to be strong and courageous is a call to reject cheating and shortcuts and to pursue integrity in your studies. That the call on us as a church to be strong and courageous is a call to be unified and not divided. It's a call to pray for your leaders before you criticize them. It's a call to say no to gossip and speaking words of encouragement and building others up. That it's a call to deny yourself and to serve others. You see, as a church, we're at a time of transition, but we're going to be just fine. Because we have confidence in the sovereignty of God. We have a confidence in God's word. And we have a confidence in God's presence. See, God has given us a mission. It's not something we came up with ourselves. He's given it to us in his word. And Enid is dying to see the supremacy of Christ in all things. Enid is dying to see a people who have been shaped by the gospel to display the greatness of Christ in all our parts of our lives. So my friends, my brothers and sisters, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a church. I pray for the individuals who are here today. That as we walk through seasons of transition, that our, our eyes will be turned from our circumstances to you that our eyes would be lit by the light of your word, that our hearts would be inflamed by your spirit, that we would rise up and be faithful to your call as those who belong to Jesus Christ, our greater Joshua, who has given us his strength and his courage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.